Amen. If you uh, have your copy of God's Word, I hope and pray and trust that you do. Turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 1. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks, today included, we're going to look at, at the Christmas story. We're going to look at the birth of uh, the Messiah and uh, just kind of dive into that uh, uh, just over these few weeks. And let me just speak to Christmas Day, um, Sunday the 25th. We will have service. Uh, we'll have one service at 10 o'clock, uh, no life groups that day. And for uh, those of you with small children, it's going to be a family-friendly service. And so um, please bring your child. We're going to incorporate our children in our service. And we'll also observe the Lord's Supper on that day, okay? And so we're going to have a great day as we celebrate that morning. Um, and so we want to make sure that you're here and you understand that it will be uh, just kid-friendly and such so that uh, we all have a part and, and we can all... Uh, enjoy that. We're going to look this morning at Matthew's account of the birth of Christ in Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18 and then through verse 25 of that uh, passage uh, together this morning. Christmas, um, the, the season of Christmas means all sorts of things to different people. Uh, for some, it represents um, some much-anticipated and looked-forward-to time away from work or, or school. For some, it means uh, gifts and, and presents, getting them as well as giving them. For some, it's, it's the time of the year they're able to get together with family and catch up. Maybe your family lives far apart, and this is the season where you, you gather at someone's house and and, and you get together. Uh, for some, this is a very joyous season. It's filled with fun and laughter, excitement and anticipation. For others, it's, it's a difficult time of year for uh, any number of reasons. Christmas can mean a lot of different things to different people, and it's celebrated for a lot of different reasons. For some, it's entirely secular, right? There's really no spiritual meaning to it. Uh, for others, it's deeply spiritual, and there's great uh, meaning in Christmas. Uh, for us, for those who are Christians who are faithfully following the Lord, this season represents the incarnation. It represents the coming to this earth of the world's Messiah, the Savior, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And the significance of that truth cannot be overstated. There, there are no words that would... Would, would overstate the magnitude of God coming to dwell with man, coming to, to, to live in our city and walk our streets and eat our food and talk our language and wear our clothes and, and be a part of who we are and what we are doing. It, it is uh, one of the most magnificent and significant facts of creation history that God would leave heaven and come to this earth uh, to dwell among us. And so we're going to dive into that over the next few weeks, next three weeks, and we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 1. So uh, you found that in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, the passage will be on the screen in front of you, and let's read this together. Beginning in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, 
It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, the first thing we see in verse 18, we see Joseph's problem. If you're following along there uh, in your notes in, on the back side of the bulletin, we see Joseph's problem. Uh, Joseph and Mary were engaged. Now, let me just give you a little bit of cultural context here. Uh, Mary, uh, as best as we understand, was more than likely from the city of Nazareth. She was a native of Nazareth. Uh, what we do know of Mary from Scripture is she was a godly woman. Uh, she was submissive to the Lord's will. She was a believing woman who trusted the Lord. She was also a very humble woman. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, following the angel Gabriel's announcement to her that, that she would uh, conceive a child by the Holy Spirit, um, here's her answer uh, in, or her response to that. She says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. <laughs> um, now, in our culture today, she would be canceled for not being woke by admitting that she's the Lord's slave, that she is a doulos of the Lord, that her life is fully submissive and surrendered to the Lord. Joseph, uh, he was the son of a gentleman named Jacob. He was a carpenter. He was a very righteous man. Uh, you and I would call him an Old Testament saint. Uh, now, most likely, uh, both Joseph and Mary were very young when they were engaged. Historically, it was customary um, that girls were often engaged to be married around the ages of 12 or 13. The boys would have been a few years older, maybe 16 or 17. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us that Mary and Joseph followed that cultural tradition, but it, it's not inappropriate for us to assume that they more than likely did. Uh, in the Jewish custom of, of the first uh, of that age, an engagement signified much more than an engagement in our culture uh, does today. Uh, a Hebrew marriage involved two stages, the engagement period and then the ceremony. The engagement was considered binding, and the man and the woman were considered uh, to be legally married while engaged, even though they had not had a, a wedding celebration and even though they had not consummated their marriage. The engagement could last up to a year. Uh, it was, if you will, a kind of a probation period just to determine each other's faithfulness uh, and commitment to this uh, relationship. 
Interestingly, the engagement can only be terminated through formal divorce proceedings, significantly different uh, than our culture. And so look with me, the next thing I want you to see here that we read is, Mary was pregnant, but not with Joseph's child, all right? Look what we read there. It was discovered in, in verse 18 in the latter half of that verse. It was discovered before they came together, before they knew each other intimately, that she was pregnant uh, from the Holy Spirit. And so th this presents Joseph with a rather big problem, okay? Um, Joseph is madly in love with this woman. He wants to spend the rest of his life with, with, with this woman. But in his mind, Mary has been unfaithful to him, okay? Um, I mean, that's the only logical conclusion he could come to, right? And if you and I were in his same shoes, we would have come to the very same conclusion. Wait a minute. <laughs> I know we haven't been intimate with one another. And so, obviously, you've been intimate with someone else. You've been unfaithful to me. And so that was a problem that Joseph faced. Look with me in verse 19 because you see this next thing. Uh, divorce, in Joseph's mind, divorce is the only logical solution uh, to this problem. Look what we read here. So her husband, Joseph, isn't it interesting that they refer to each other as husband and wife, even though they are not husband and wife yet, uh, they are only engaged that's the seriousness of the relationship in the Hebrew culture. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Joseph is a righteous man. He's a godly man. He's madly in love with this woman. And so he has, if you will, a threefold problem. Number one, uh, being a righteous man, because of his high moral standards, he knew that he could not and that he should not go forward in this relationship, committing himself to someone who's been unfaithful to him. The second thing that we find is because of his righteous heart, he cannot bring himself to shame her publicly. He, he loved her and he didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to bring any public shame on her. Um, so now what does he do? By Old Testament law, he had every right to demand that she be stoned to death. Now, under the Roman uh, leadership of that empire, that wasn't going to happen, but that was an option uh, under the Old Testament law. And so what is Joseph going to do here? Well, he's going to try to divorce her secretly, right? Try to do all this behind closed doors and keep it as quiet as possible. Uh, but how many of you are aware of just gossip, right? I mean, the, the, the word's going to get out soon enough. It's not going to be kept secret. The whole community's going to know what's going on here. In just a few weeks, she's going to be showing. I mean, the world's going to look and say, wait a minute, two plus two's not equaling four here, right? But he was going to do his very best as he, to, to, to maintain, uh, make sure she could maintain her reputation and not be embarrassed by it. Beginning in verse 20, though, we see this. Look with me in your notes. We see God's solution to Joseph's problem. We see God's solution to Joseph's problem. And God always intervenes at the exact right time. Church, be encouraged with this. God is never late, nor is God ever early. He will work in your life and my life at the exact right time according to his plan and his purpose. So be patient and wait for the Lord to work. Look what we read here. But after he had considered these things, Joseph had made this decision with all the information that he had. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph's made his decision up until this moment when God intervenes. And the angel of the Lord brings to, to Joseph some of the most reassuring and encouraging words he'd probably ever heard in his life. Don't be afraid to take this woman as your wife. Now, you and I read, can read into that. Joseph, she hasn't been unfaithful to you. This woman loves you, and she loves you greatly. God is doing a work in her life. He is doing a work in your life. And more importantly, God is doing a work in the life of all humanity and he's chosen Mary to be an integral part of that. Marry her, Joseph. Love her. Commit your life to her. What, what great words of encouragement. It reminds me of Proverbs 16 in verse 1. We read from the wisdom of, 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 of the Proverbs, the preparation of the heart belongs to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In other words, you and I can do everything we know to do with all the information and all the planning and preparation that we know. But at the end of the day, for you and I who know the Lord, the, He has the final answer. It's what God wants for us that's far more important than anything we have planned for ourselves. And so look with me then, beginning in verse 22. We see that God fulfills His promise, prophecy of the virgin birth. Look what we read here. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, and that's the prophet Isaiah. From Isaiah chapter 7, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. 700 years or so prior to this occasion, the prophet Isaiah, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had told us what God was going to do. God had promised the Messiah would be born to a virgin, and here on this night in Bethlehem, uh, or on this occasion, God will fulfill that promise. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, modern science and modern logic finds it hard to believe in the birth of Jesus Christ. I understand that to a degree, what I don't understand or what sometimes frustrates me is that many professing Christians find it hard to believe in the virgin birth. Is it a necessary doctrine of our faith? And listen carefully, it is absolutely necessary, it is absolutely essential that we stand on this hill and die on this hill if necessary. If we ignore the virgin birth of Christ, we call into question the deity of Christ, because he can't be deity if he, if he carries the seed of man. Had he been conceived by the act of man, he could not have been God. He could not have been divine. And as a result of that, he would not be capable of dying and paying the penalty of your sin and my sin. He would not have been an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. Let me explain further. Had Jesus been conceived by the act of man, he would carry the sin nature of man. His DNA would be no different than your DNA or my DNA. And as a result, he would have been born, he would have been conceived in sin, he would have been brought forth in iniquity, separated from God. 
Uh, look with me or, re- or listen carefully to Psalm 51 in verse 5. David writes these words. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. You and I need to be reminded of this truth. You and I are brought forth uh, in conception. We are brought forth in sin. We are born into sin. We are born with this sin nature, and that sin nature separates us from a holy and righteous God. Had the Lord Jesus been conceived in the same manner that you and I are, He would have carried the sin nature that you and I carry, and he would not be be God, and he would not be an acceptable sacrifice of sin. He didn't carry the seed of man. Now, you might ask, well, what about about Mary? What what about the blood of Mary uh, while in the womb? Well, interestingly, God, knowing the skeptical and critical nature of man, he took care of that issue in creation. In God's wisdom and in God's power, he made it so that, this is phenomenal, that the blood of the mother never mixes with the blood of the child while in her womb. It's a fascinating miracle of life that your blood and my blood never mixed with the blood of our mother while in the womb. The, the, The child's circulatory system is entirely separate and distinct from the mothers. It's, it's an amazing phenomenon that takes place. Yes, we receive our vitamins and our minerals from our mother, but the blood of the two, the two lives never mix in utero. It's phenomenal. Scientists have also said, and the medical community has, has said, that if the bloods were to mix, the mom's body would attack that child like it's an outside invasion. Hank sitting right here, he's the recipient of a kidney and a pancreas transplant. He has to take medicine every day to tell his body not to reject that outside kidney and pancreas. And it would work the same way through uh, gestation and so forth if the blood mixes. But the blood never mixed. Jesus did not have an earthly father, and so he doesn't carry the seed of man. And because the blood doesn't mix, his blood was never mixed with a human's blood. And therefore, he is fully God, and he's fully man. Now, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit is a great mystery. It's one that God, in his wisdom, has chosen not to fully explain to us. I can't fully explain to you how Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I can't. I can't give you a scientific explanation or any other explanation other than this. God's Word says that's exactly what happened, and I believe what God's Word says about it. And the reality is this, if God had given us all the details, our finite minds couldn't comprehend it anyway. Let me walk you through how all of this works together, why the virgin birth is so important. And I want to share with you a quote this morning from John MacArthur uh, that just says it much better than I could. Listen carefully. And he says, and I quote, Apart from Jesus being both human and divine, there is no gospel. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. The whole superstructure of Christian theology is built on it. The essence and the power of the gospel is that God became man and that, by being both holy God and holy man, he was able to reconcile men to God. Jesus' virgin birth, his substitutionary atoning death, 
resurrection, ascension, and return are all integral aspects of his deity. They stand or fall together. Listen to this last statement. If any of those teachings, all clearly taught in the New Testament, is rejected, the entire gospel is rejected, end quote. In other words, if you and I make a decision, well, I'm I'm not going to hang on to the virgin birth because I can't explain it and science can't explain it. If if I'm going to let go of that, listen, the whole gospel crumbles before us. That's how important this is. So we see God's solution to Joseph's problem, but in this text we see something else. We see God's solution to man's problem. Look at me beginning in verse 21. What do we read here? She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In verse 23, we see Matthew quoting from Isaiah 7 and verse 14, the prophecy that God gave us that the virgin birth would that the virgin would give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel, which is God is with us. Read with me in John chapter 1 and verse 14. Uh, and let's just look at this real quick. The word became flesh and took up residence among us, and we observed his glory the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the person of Christ, God came to dwell with man. Now, let's try to think about the magnitude of that, okay? If you know your Bible, the, very, the last time that God dwelt with man, okay, was in the Garden of Eden, several thousand years prior to this occasion, The Bible says that God walked among us, and then something happened, right? What happened? Sin happened, and as a result of sin, God removed us from the Garden of Eden. He separated us from his presence, and until this occasion, on a a night in Bethlehem, God would not dwell with man again, and so the significance is great, and a Hebrew would have understood this in a much different way than you and I can today because of their history. But on this occasion, God left the throne of heaven and came to dwell with us. Look with me at Colossians 1.15. Speaking of Christ, look what we read here. He, Christ, watch this, is the image of the invisible God. Let's go a little further in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Look what we read. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Now watch this, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Christ is, he is God. In John chapter 14, Philip, like you and I, asked Jesus a question. He says, Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus says to him, Philip, have I not been with you this long? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, I am God. I'm the Father, Philip. I'm, I'm him. 
And then the New Testament goes on to expand and build on that great truth. God is with us. But more importantly, we see in verse 21 that Jesus brings salvation. They're going to name him Jesus. Now, for you and I, we look at that and, and, and we don't understand the historical context. That is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. So it's not an accident that God said you're going to name him Jesus. You're, it's not an accident you're going to name him Yeshua, Joshua, Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Read with me Luke 19 and verse 10. Jesus is speaking, and he tells us his purpose. He says, for the Son of Man has come, he has come to this earth to seek and to save the lost. Now let's go a little bit further. Look what we read from 1 John 4 and verse 15. The Apostle John writes these words. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Now, those two words, save in, in Luke 19 and verse 10, and Savior have the same root. The word save means this, to rescue another from a helpless and hopeless situation. To rescue another from a helpless and hopeless situation. Let me try to illustrate. If you and I were lost at sea, floating in the water, with no land in sight, no boat in sight, no, no flotation device, no raft, no nothing. If you and I were out in the middle of the ocean treading water, that is a helpless and hopeless situation, okay? You and I are not going to survive that. No matter how great of a swimmer we are, no matter what kind of physical condition we're in, we're not going to survive that very long. Some of us will survive longer than others, but ultimately, none of us would survive that. It's a helpless and hopeless situation until a third party comes along and rescues us. So we can use that word in that context. In Scripture, it means to rescue or deliver from sin's penalty. To rescue or deliver from sin's penalty. Now, let, let, let's just walk through this together. Some of you are going to be familiar with, with this Others maybe not, but let's walk through it. Look with me at Romans 3, 23. Remember the word as it's used in Scripture, to rescue or deliver from sin's penalty. In Romans 3, 23, we read this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so all of us are guilty of sin. Every one of us have violated the holy and righteous commandments and precepts of Almighty God. We're guilty of sin. Let's keep going. Romans 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages, the consequence, for the cost, the price of sin is death. Now, that there, there's two meanings of that. Number one it is a reference to physical death. The reason our bodies age, the reason our bodies one day just give up and stop working is because of sin, okay? It's a natural part of our life. But more importantly, when we see that in Scripture, it is a reference to spiritual death. It is a reference to eternal separation from God. And so you and I could say it this way, for the wages of sin is eternal separation from God, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's keep going. Look with me at Romans 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ paid the penalty of our sin. Romans 10, 13, read that with me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's that word, will be delivered, will be rescued from sin's penalty. Remember Jesus' purpose statement, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so, who can be saved? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Look with me at John 3 and verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. So what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It means to believe in the Son. It means to place our faith and our trust in God's one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to, to give our life fully and completely to him, trusting him for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. If we choose not to do that, what are we told? The wrath of God remains on us. What is the wrath of God? It is eternal separation from him as a result of our sin, as a consequence of sin. And then finally, it can all be wrapped up in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Read with me. Look what we read here. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. He rescued and delivered us from sin's penalty. Now watch this. Not by the works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, watch this, having been justified or having been declared righteous or having been pardoned by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope, with the certain expectation, with the promise, with the guarantee of what? Eternal life. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was born to a virgin in the town of Bethlehem to seek and to save the lost, to rescue us, to deliver us from sin's consequence, from sin's penalty. He came to die for us so that through faith in him, you and I might live for all of eternity. Jesus Christ was born so that he might save us from our sin, that he might rescue us from sin's penalty that he might redeem us and give us eternal life. This time of the year, around your Christmas tree, around my Christmas tree, you, you have gifts wrapped, right? We're going to exchange gifts. And that's a wonderful time of this season. It's enjoyable. We enjoy buying gifts for others. We enjoy receiving gifts. But I want you to consider this. In this season, the greatest gift of all is God's gift of his son to us. God giving his son to us in death that we might find life in life eternal. I hope and I pray 
that you have accepted that gift of salvation that God's given you, that you have unwrapped it and you are living in it and loving it and enjoying it. If not, I would love just to, just to sit down and talk with you about what it means to say yes to God's gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming. Thank you for dying for us. Heavenly Father, if there is anyone in this room or anyone who, will, who is watching online or who might listen later, Lord, I ask and pray, if anyone here does not know Christ as Savior, if there's any individual that's never surrendered in faith to you, I ask and pray, Lord, that today would be their day of salvation, that today they would once and for all surrender in faith to Jesus and be saved to be, and be rescued, be delivered from sin's penalty. Lord, I just ask and pray that you would move and work in each heart, in each life, in this place today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.